0: Welcome to the Jed Breaks Bread Podcast. My name is Jonathan Edwards, and I serve as a pastor at the Grace Brethren Chapel located in Northwest Ohio. The goal of this podcast is to teach God's truth and how to apply it accurately to one's life so that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed as you contemplate God's Word. Greeting, saints and fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. I trust that you have had a profitable holiday break and that as you get ready to look for a new year or look towards a new year, that you will be thinking about how you can use your time in this new year to honor Christ and to grow in likeness. In fact, that is going to be one of the major themes that we are going to talk about today. It is the theme that we're going to talk about today. I have a sermon that was written in 1734, December of 1734 to be exact, and it was written by a gentleman who has the exact same name that I do, although his intellectual abilities far surpass my own. Yes, I'm talking of the original Jonathan Edwards, Pastor Jonathan Edwards, who pastored a church in Northampton, Massachusetts during what is most commonly known as the Great Awakening or one of the Great Awakening periods in American theological and practical history. This was a movement that really touched literally thousands of people uh, in the early to mid-1700s. And so today for you, I have curated a sermon from Pastor Jonathan Edwards, and it is called The Preciousness of Time. And what I want to do for you today is I want to read you this sermon as an exhortation for how you should consider living in the new year. Now, I will probably make a few comments along the way. I have edited this sermon for um, understandability for a modern audience, but this sermon is Jonathan Edwards' work and Jonathan Edwards' ideas. All right, so the sermon is based on Ephesians 5, 16, but I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 to help you understand the context. Paul begins by saying this in verse 15, and I'm reading out of the New American Standard version of the Bible. He obviously preached out of the King James Version because that's the English version that was common at his day. So if you're following along in the KJV, it's a little different. The scripture quotations in the sermon, a little different. But here we go in the NASB. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now, here we go in verse 16, and we see in the NASB that it says, making the most of your time. In the margin of the NASB Bible, there's a little footnote, and it says, literally, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. And that is That is the main theme of this particular message. Jonathan Edwards begins by saying this, The term redeeming relates to something that is either lost or in some way gone out of our possession, or at least something that is ready to be lost or that is about to be taken from us. The words here may be interpreted in various senses. The apostle may have respect to how others misspend their time. He says, Redeem the time, because the days are evil. And the days being evil, ye see others lavish away precious time, but do you endeavor to redeem it? Or he may have respect to their past loss of time. The apostle puts the Christian Ephesians in mind how in time past they may have misspent their precious time. For ye were sometime in darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Ephesians 5 8. He may be advising them to now redeem that time. Or he may have respect to the great danger of time being lost by reason of the days being so evil. And we can certainly identify with that statement. It being so, there was abundant temptation to an ill improvement of time. If they did not take great care, time would slip out of their hands and they would have no benefit by it. They had need, therefore, to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, as it is found in the foregoing verse, that they might save their time. Or lastly, it may have respect to redeeming the time from those awful calamities that God was about to bring upon the wicked. The apostles were often foretelling terrible judgments that were coming. He perhaps advises Christians to take the greater care to live holy lives and to labor to reclaim others from their bad courses so that God might defer his anger. And so time might be redeemed and, as it were, saved from that terrible destruction that, when it came, would put an end to the time of God's patience. And it may be upon this account that this reason is added, because the days are evil. The corruption of the times tends to hasten threatened judgments but your holy and circumspect walk will tend to redeem the time from the devouring jaws of these calamities. But in whatever sense the expression is to be understood, this much is certainly held forth to us in the words that time is a thing that we should set a high value upon, that we should be so careful that it is not lost and are exhorted to such wisdom and circumspection, that means care, as to redeem it. That which is of little worth is not worth our while to be at much pains or cost to redeem, when it already may be lost. Therefore, we must understand the doctrine that Paul is setting forth in this passage, that time is a thing which is exceedingly precious. Why? Well, reason number one is this. Eternity depends upon the improvement of time. Now, in this, in this context, improvement means the profitable management or use of time. Things are precious in proportion to the importance of them or according to the degree wherein they concern our welfare. Men are prone to set the highest value on those things that they are sensible of and that they have their chief dependence upon. Other things they may easily part with, but they will not very easily part with such valuable things. And this renders time so exceedingly precious because our welfare and our interest of it depends upon the improvement of it. Time is precious on other accounts as well. It is precious because our welfare in this world depends upon our improvement of it. It is precious because if we don't improve it, we shall be in danger of coming to poverty and disgrace. It is precious because by the good improvement of it, we may obtain those things that will be comfortable to us here. But it is above all things precious because eternity depends upon it. The importance of the improvement of time upon other accounts is in subordination to this, and is little or nothing in comparison. According as we either improve or lose our time, so shall we be happy or miserable to all eternity. Without the improvement of time, our eternity will be miserable, and with a good improvement of time, our eternity will be happy. Gold and silver are esteemed precious by men, but they are of no worth to any man, but only as he thereby has an opportunity, either of avoiding or removing some evil or possessing himself of some good. If a man has never so much silver or gold, if it gives him no opportunity, either of avoiding any sort of evil or procuring any good, it is of no worth to them and the greater the evil that any man has advantage to escape, or the good that he has opportunity to obtain by anything that he has, by so much of the greater worth or value is that thing to him. Thus if a man, by anything that he has, might save his life, he would look upon that thing, by which he has opportunity of escaping so great an evil or death to be very precious. So if by anything he has, he has opportunity to obtain a kingdom, it will be of great value to him. And hence it is that time is a thing so exceedingly precious, because it is by that that we have opportunity of escaping everlasting misery and of obtaining eternal blessedness and glory. It is upon the improvement of time that there depends an escape from an infinite evil, and in obtaining an infinite good, and this puts an infinite value upon time. Eternity depends upon it, for eternity is of an infinite or endless duration. And to be miserable through eternity is an infinite evil, and it is infinitely dreadful. And so, to be happy through eternity is an infinite good. Next, time is very short, which is another thing that renders it very precious. The scarcity of any commodity occasions men to set a higher value upon it, especially if it be a thing that is necessary to be had, that they cannot do without, or that their interest much depends upon. Thus, when Samaria was besieged by the Syrians, there was a great famine in Samaria, And behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for eighty shekels of silver and a fourth of a cab, a cab is two quarts, of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. When bread is very scarce, they that have bread have but a little of it. They will be more choice of it and they will set a higher value upon it because bread is what they must have or they will perish. So time is the more to be prized by men because a whole eternity depends upon it, and yet we have but little of it. When a few days are gone, then we must go where we shall not return. Our days fly by faster than a runner. They are swept away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hastens to the prey, says Job in Job 9:25 and 26. Our life, what is it? James notes that it is but a vapor that continues a little while and then vanishes away. Our life is but a moment to eternity and bears no proportion to it. Time is so short and the work so great that we have to do in it that we have none of it to spare. The work that we have to do to prepare for eternity must be done in time or it can never be done, and it is found to be a work of great difficulty and labor. We read of silver so plentiful in Solomon's time that it was as the stones of the street. It was nothing to be accounted of. They had more of it than they needed or knew what to do with. But this is not the case with us with respect to time. And it is but a little time that God has allotted to us a short span that is soon all of it gone." So we ought to prize our time the more highly and to be careful that we don't lose any of it because it is so short and yet what is so necessary to us. Thirdly, time ought to be looked upon as very precious by us upon this account also that we are uncertain of the continuance of it. We know that it is very short, but we do not know how short. We don't know how little there is of it remaining whether a year or several years or only a month or a week or a day. We don't know but that every day may not be the last or how little of the day we are to have. There is nothing that experience verifies more than this. This is another thing that makes time precious and upon the account of which we ought to be the more careful not to lose the least part of, seeing that our everlasting welfare depends upon the improvement of time. If a man had provision laid up for a journey, and knew that he had but a little, and he knew not how little, and at the same time knew that if his provision failed, he must perish upon his journey, he would be the more choice of his store for his not knowing of what was there. He would be the more careful not to throw away any of it, nor to lose any of it. This thought would make him very careful that he did not know how much there was. And therefore, if he parted with but a little, it may be there would be not enough to support him through the journey. How much more, then, would many men prize their time if they knew that they had but a few months or a few days more in the world? How many have died out of this town at one time or another when neither they nor their neighbors saw any signs of death a week beforehand. And probably there are various persons now here present, hearing what I now say that are to die in a very little time, and they have no apprehension of it. This teaches us how we ought to prize our time and be careful that we don't lose any of it. Fourthly, time is very precious because when it is past, it cannot be recovered. There are many things that men possess which, if they part with, they can obtain them again. If a man has parted with something he had, not knowing the worth of it or the need he should have of it, he oftentimes can get it again, at least with pains and cost. If a man has been overseen in a bargain and bartered away or sold something that he had and afterwards repents of it, he may sometimes get a release and recover what he has parted with. But it is not so with respect to time. When once that is gone, it is gone forever. No pains, no cost will fetch it back. If we repent never so much that we have let it go and did not improve it while we had it, it will signify nothing. Therefore, we should be the more choice of it while we have it. For that which is well improved is not lost. Though the time itself will be gone, yet the benefit of it abides with us. If we have lived 50 or 60 or 70 years and we haven't improved them, it now cannot be helped. It is all eternally gone from us. All we can do is improve the little time that remains. Yea, and if we have spent all our lives and but a few minutes was improved, all that is gone is lost. And it is only those few remaining minutes that is possible, should be made our own. And if the whole of our time is gone and all is lost, it is unrecoverable. Eternity depends on the improvement of time. But when once the time of life is gone, when once death is come, we have more, no more to do with time. There is no fetching of it back. There is no obtaining a repetition of it or another space to prepare for eternity in. For this reason, we ought to set the higher value upon time while we have it. If a man loses his money, he can get more and so make up his loss. If a man should lose the whole of his worldly substance and becomes bankrupt, it is possible that his loss may be made up. He may have another estate as good. But when the time of life is gone it is impossible that we should ever obtain another such time. It is utterly and everlastingly gone. Now, Jonathan Edwards turns to the improvement, the application of this doctrine. The first application is self-reflection, to challenge persons to reflect and to examine about what they have done with their time. He writes, you have now heard of the preciousness of time and you are a person concerned. You are one to whom God has committed that precious talent commodity. You have had such a great deal of time. You have had a great deal of time that is past, passed and time is as much worth to you to others, whether you are so sensible of the worth of it or not. You are the one that has an eternity before you. When God created you and gave you a reasonable soul, he made you for an eternity. And he gave you time here in order to prepare for eternity. And your future eternity depends on the improvement of time. Consider, therefore, what have you done with your time past? You are not now beginning to spend your time, but a great deal of your time is past and gone, and all the wit and power of the universe cannot recover it. How have you spent it? Let your own consciences make an answer. There are many of you that may well conclude that half your time is gone. If you, if you should live to the ordinary age of man, your glass is more than half run, and perhaps there may be but few sands remaining. Your sun is past the meridian, and perhaps just setting or going to an everlasting eclipse. Consider, therefore, What account can you give of the improvement of your past time? How have you let the precious golden sands of your glass run? Every day that you have has been precious. Yes, your moments have been precious. But have you not wasted your precious moments and precious days, yea, and even your precious years? If you should so reckon up how many days you have lived, what sum would there be? And how precious has every one of those days been? And what have you done with them? What has become of them all? How can you show of any improvement or good done or benefit obtained, answerable to all this time that you have lived? When you look back and search, don't you find this past time of your life in a great measure empty, having not been filled up with any good improvement? And if God, that has given you your time, Should now call you to an account, what account could you give to him? How much may be done in a year? How much good is there opportunity for doing in such a space of time? How much service may persons do for God, and how much for their own souls if persons do their utmost to improve it? How much may be done in a day? But what have you done in so many days and years that you have lived? What have you done with the whole time of your youth that you that are past your youth? What is to become of all that precious season of life? What have you to show for it? Has not all that precious season of life, even the time of your youth, been in vain to you? Would it not have been as well or better for you if you had all that time been asleep or in a state of non existence? You have had a great deal of time of freedom from your worldly business. Consider what you have done with it. To what purpose have you spent it? What have you done with all the Sabbath days, that is, rest days, that you have had? You haven't only had ordinary time, but you have had a great deal of holy time. How have you spent it? Consider these things seriously and let your own consciences make an answer. The second application is one of reproof or rebuke to those who lose and misspend their time. How little is the preciousness of time considered, and how little of a sense do the greater part of men seem to have it, and how lavish are they of it. To how little good purpose do many spend their time. There is nothing more precious, and yet nothing that men are more wasteful of. Time is with many as silver. Was in the days of Solomon. It is as the stones of the street and nothing accounted of, but not because it is in great plenty as silver then was. Mankind acts, however, as though time is the thing that they have in the greatest plenty, and if they have a great deal more than they needed and know not what to do with. If men were as lavish of their money as they were with their time, and it was as common a thing for them to throw away their money, as it is for men to throw away their time, we would think of them as persons who are crazy beside themselves. And yet, time is a thousand times more precious than money, and it is what cannot be purchased for money. When it is gone, money won't redeem it. There are several sorts of persons who should be reproved by this doctrine that I shall particularly mention. First, There are those who spend a great deal of their time in idleness or doing nothing and following no business at all, neither of their general nor particular calling, doing nothing that shall turn to any account, either for the good of their souls or their bodies, nothing either for their own benefit, nor for the benefit of their neighbors, nor of the family, nor of the public society." There are some persons that time seems to lie heavy upon their hands. Their hands refuse to labor, and rather than to put themselves to it, they will let their family suffer, and they will suffer themselves. Proverbs 19:15 says, "The idle soul shall surely suffer hunger." Proverbs 23:21 says, "Slothfulness shall clothe a man with rags." The direction Of the apostle is, as in Ephesians 4 28, that we should labor, working with our hands the thing that is good that we might have to give to him that needs. But instead of having anything to give to him that needs, they do but waste what they have. Secondly, those persons that are reproved by this doctrine are those who spend their time in wicked works, who don't merely spend their time doing Nothing to any good purpose, but they spend it to do ill purposes. They do not only lose their time that is so precious, but they do worse than lose it. They do themselves and others hurt with it. Time is precious, as we have heard, because eternity depends upon it by the improvement of time. We have opportunity of escaping eternal misery and obtaining eternal blessedness. But those that spend their time in wicked works, they not only neglect to improve their time to obtain eternal happiness or to escape eternal damnation, but they spend it to a quite contrary purpose, to increase their eternal misery, to render their damnation the more heavy and intolerable. What mournful ways are these of spending time that is so precious as we have heard This is not only the wasting of time, it is a worse way of abusing time than a mere wasting of it. Those that spend much of their time in wickedness, if ever they should reform, and set about a contrary improvement of time, would find not only that they have wasted their past time they spent in wickedness, but they have made additional work for their remaining time. It will probably take up more time for them to seek repentance. They have contracted those ill habits that will take time for them to mortify and subdue. Sin is a great devourer of time. If we look abroad in the world and consider how men behave themselves, alas, how much time is spent in sin, how much of the life of men is spent in it, and how much the greater part of men spend all their time in it. Time as it is spent is good for nothing to them. Thirdly, those who are reproved by this doctrine, who spend their time only in worldly pursuits, neglecting their souls, such as these do lose their time, let them be never so diligent in their worldly business, though they may be careful not to let any of their time pass by, but so that it may some way or another turn to their worldly profit." Time was given in order to possess eternity. It was designed for a space of probation for eternity. And thence it is that time is so precious, even because eternity depends upon it. And therefore, if men don't improve their time to the purpose of eternity, they lose it. They frustrate the end for which time was given them. They that improve time only for their benefit in time do lose it because time was not given for itself, but it was given for that everlasting duration that succeeds it. Therefore, those whose time is taken up only in caring for the world, in inquiring what they shall eat and drink, in contriving to lay up for themselves treasures on earth, how to enrich themselves, or how to make themselves great, or how to live in comfortable and pleasant circumstances while here, And busy their minds and employ their strength only in those things and have the stream of their desires and affections to those things, they lose their precious time. All that time is lost that men may have spent only to such purposes, though they may thereby have made for themselves fair estates and have obtained never so much of the comforts, advantages, and honor of the world. Now, finally, we come to the third application, which is an exhortation to improve mind to the greatest amount that we are able. Consider that we have discussed the preciousness of it, how much depends upon it, how short and uncertain it is, and how irrecoverable it will be when gone. Make these things the object of much of your meditations. If you have a right conception of these things, you will be more. Choice of your time than your most fine gold. What he means by that is you will use your time more wisely and more discerningly than you will spend your money. Every hour and every moment will seem precious to you. First, consider this that you are accountable to God for your time. We are God's servants, and as a servant is accountable to his master, how he has spent his time when he has set him forth to work so we are accountable to God. Our time is God's much more than a servant's time is his master's. Secondly, we must consider how much time we have lost already. We have a greater need of diligently improving the remaining part of our time, for we have already lost and already spent so much time in other pursuits. You ought to lament and mourn over your lost time, but that is not all that you must do. You must apply yourself the more diligently to improve the remaining part of your time that you may, as it were, redeem what time has been lost. And you that are considerably advanced in the day of life and have previously spent your time in vanities and worldly cares and lived in a great measure negligent of the interest of your soul may well be terrified and amazed when you think how much time you have lost and have squandered away to no purpose. You, therefore, must consider how to diligently spend the remaining hours of your time for these three reasons. Number one, your opportunity is so much shorter. Your time at longest is very short, as has been shown already. But if you consider what has been lost, how much shorter is it? Therefore, you must take advantage of the opportunities while you have them. Secondly, you have the same amount of work to do that you had to do at the first, but you are under greater difficulties. You have done nothing at all of your work before this. All of it remains to be done, and you have greater disadvantages and difficulties than you would have if you had started earlier, so that the time that you have to do your work in hasn't only grown shorter but also your work has grown greater. As your time shortens, your work that you need to do in time grows greater. You haven't only the same work to do, but you have more work. For while you have lost your time, you haven't only shortened it, but you have been making more work for yourself. And thirdly, to those of you who are advanced in age and are considering the use of your time, that those years that you have already lost was the best of the time that you have already had. The first of a man's time is the best of his time. In other words, the first after he comes to the exercise of reason. So what Jonathan Edwards is saying is in your early and young adulthood, you have the best of your time. Why? Because you are capable. You have energy. You have endurance. You have a desire and motivation. And if you squander the time of your younger years, it is that much harder to make up for it in your later years. Therefore, God calls you to rouse yourself up and apply yourself to your work. And should you not hearken to his counsel in this great affair rather than submit to your mortal enemy, the devil, Thirdly, when it comes to application, consider how some value their time when it comes near the end of their time. What a sense sometimes have poor sinners when they are upon their deathbeds of the preciousness of time. Such have sometimes cried out, Oh, a thousand worlds for an inch of time. Then time appeared precious to them indeed. An inch of time could do them no more good than before when they were in health if they had but a like disposition to improve it. Nor so much, for a man's time upon a deathbed is attended with far greater disadvantages for an improvement for the good of the soul than when he is in full health. But the near approach of death makes them sensible to the inestimable worth of time. They, it may be while they were in health, were as insensitive to the value of time as you are and were as negligent of it, but how their thoughts have been altered when upon their deathbed. It was not because they were deceived, but it is because their eyes have now been opened. Let all, therefore, be persuaded to the utmost to improve their time, and I shall conclude by advising three things in particular. Number one, Improve the present time without any manner of delay. If you delay and put off the improvement of time, still more time will be lost, and it will be an evidence that you are not sensible to the preciousness of time. Don't talk of more convenient seasons hereafter, but improve your time while you have it, after the example of the psalmist I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Number two. Be especially careful to improve those parts of time that are the most precious. Though all time is very precious, yet some parts of time are more precious than others, as particularly holy time is more precious than common time. Such time is a time of greater advantage for our everlasting welfare. Therefore, above all, improve your Sabbaths, and especially improve the time of public worship, which is the most precious part of holy time. Don't lose your time, either in sleep or in carelessness, inattention, or wandering imaginations. Thirdly, improve your time of leisure apart from your worldly business. Many persons have a great deal of such time, and all have some. Such time may be improved to great advantage if persons are disposed to it. Such time wherein we are most free from cares for the body and business of our outward nature, is a happy opportunity for the soul. There is no necessity of spending such times in idleness because you have no worldly business to do. Therefore, don't spend such times unprofitably, and so as you can give no good account thereof to God. Don't waste away these long winter evenings, wholly in idle, unprofitable talk by your own or your neighbor's firesides, nor in useless diversions and amusements. Diversion should be used only in subservience to business. So much should be used, and no more, as does fit the mind and body for the work of our general and particular calling. You may profitably spend the time in talking with religious persons of things of the greatest importance, in prayer and meditation, and of the reading of profitable books. And if you don't have such books, then get them. Don't straighten yourself for advantages for your soul, though you straighten yourself for other things. You have a need to improve every talent, advantage, and opportunity to your utmost while time lasts. For it will soon be that it shall be said concerning you, according to the oath of the angel, that which we read in Revelation 10, 5, and 6, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swore by him that lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that therein are, and the earth and the things that therein are, and the sea and the things that there are in, that there shall be time no longer. All right, well, that concludes this sermon on the preciousness of time. And I hope that despite the nearly 300 years of time that separates the original hearers of this sermon and you, I hope and I pray that you are challenged and blessed by this incredible truth written by one of the greatest theologians in the history of America and possibly in the history of the church. May you consider well how you use your time in 2024, and may you make the best improvements of your time knowing that our time, and the use of it is something that counts for eternity. God bless you.